we honor God and we thank God for who he is in our lives. What a blessing to be in the house of worship today. Amen. I, I, I tell you, it, it, just through the praise and worship, I was thinking to myself as I sat down, I'm glad I didn't, wasn't wearing makeup because my makeup would have been all messed up. I had, I had to get a Kleenex because the tears are flowing. I just, I'm telling you, it's something about being in the presence of the Lord. I love him because in his word he said, if there are two or three gathered together in my name, I will be in the midst. And I'm grateful to God that he is here today. Amen? Amen. I'm glad to see you, but I'm, I'm so grateful to God that he's here. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So uh, let me uh, start with the formalities. I, I praise God for the uh, angels of this house, Pastor John and Kim Anderson. Amen. That's right. Amen. Praise God. Praise God uh, just uh, for their love for God and their family and this family here. We just praise God for them and uh, just such a blessing uh, that uh, even when in Ohio, I can uh, log in there to YouTube and uh, watch you all have church Amen. and hear a great word. Amen. 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 Praise God. And, and, and I, I just want to also thank God for my bishop, Bishop Kenneth Moore. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Founder of... New Birth Christian Ministries there in Columbus, Ohio, where we are. Amen. Thank God. It's such a blessing to see him here. And, and then um, it's, uh, God has a way of working things out. When we were uh, planning to uh, be here and we were uh, having lunch one day with uh, um, uh, some family, uh, we call them our daughter and son in the Lord, uh, <laughs> We were sitting there, and we told them that we were coming down here, and they said, when? And uh, we told them the dates, and, and we found out that they were going to be here. So uh, if you all don't mind, uh, all of those who, the couples that are here from New Birth, would you stand? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Amen. Praise God, praise God. Thank you all for being here. What, what, what a blessing, what a blessing uh, it is to, we, we actually had lunch with, uh, I think, Thursday, and uh, I, I just, I, I think the place has changed. I, I, don't th I don't think that place will ever be the same, because yeah. uh, we, we, we had church there, so we, we praise God for that. Amen, amen, hallelujah, and I would be remiss if I didn't thank God for my wonderful wife. So, so grateful, so grateful. Uh, you know, uh, she is, she's my good thing. And, and uh, uh, I, I uh, 
did uh, went to the Hebrew and I explained what that uh, what it mean when uh, God says she's to be my helpmate and I, I I told her it means critical advisor. Do you know she's taken that to heart? Sometimes I think, should I have told her that? I don't know, but I didn't. Amen. So, but I'm grateful for my wife. What a, what a God, God's second most precious gift to me. So praise God for her. Amen. God is good. You know, I was thinking about just where God's brought us from. And there's a scripture that came to my mind and very familiar in, in Romans chapter 8. And it's a scripture that blesses me as we look at the times we live in. And this is not the scripture I'm preaching from, by the way, so uh, you don't have to worry about your uh, it's, uh, it's Romans 8, uh, 31 through 37, and I'm, I'm not going to read every verse, or any, uh, but, but there are some parts in there that really bless me, and I believe uh, as I stand here, maybe it'll be a blessing to you, uh, uh, because it, it starts out, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then there's another part that says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And then we go further and says, who then is the one who condemns? And then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then we get down to verse 37 and he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And when I think about the times we live in, it's a comfort to me to know that we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We are hyper-conquerors. We are super-conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. And so... Uh, that, that, that verse, that, that scripture just blessed me as I've been thinking about where we're at in this time of our lives. And, and so we have so much to be grateful for. Amen. And I also want to just tell you that we thank you all for the prayers. We know that you all prayed for us as, as we grieve the loss of our uh, oldest son, Warren Jr. We thank you for your prayers. Uh, God answers prayers. I found him to be a comfort and a strength, just like he said he is. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we're grateful to God. One of the greatest things that um, we deal with today from the world is the world's objection to the claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Anybody ever heard that? For the world, the, 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 the thought, the unsaved, this, this is intolerant that Jesus is the only way. They even say that this claim spews of 
hatred, and, uh, and, and, and when they do that, they fall right into the devil's strategies. And the world is asking the question, how could billions of people be wrong? What I mean by that, those billions who say that Jesus is not the only way. How could those billions and billions of people be wrong? Charles Templeton uh, was a former preaching colleague of the late Dr. Billy Graham. And he later became an agnostic. And so he summarized the argument this way. He said, Christians are a small minority in the world. We're approximately four of every five people on the face of the earth believe in gods other than the Christian God. Are we to believe that only Christians are right? That's what he said. One who was a former evangelist who became an agnostic and said, how could billions of people be wrong? In other words, the, 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 uh, most of the world's population don't believe John 14 and 6 where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in our lesson today, we're going to look at how Jesus addressed a similar question that was asked over 2,000 years ago. Here it is about the saved. So today, for just a little while, uh, I want to share with you an amazing story and speak to us from this question, how can we identify the saved? How can we identify the saved? Now, now, for those of you who are sitting and thinking, well, that's being judgmental. No, 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 I'm not judgmental. I'm not here to judge anybody. But I want to show us through the word of God how Jesus answered that question. How can we identify the saved? Uh, 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 the Bible speaks of saved in four ways. You see, at the moment we believe and receive salvation, we are saved from the very penalty of sin. As we go through this life of salvation and the sanctification process, we are being saved from the power of sin and the practice of sin. And one day, when we are resurrected or raptured into the arms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. So how can we identify the saved? Anybody want to know? All right. Our scripture today, we're going to be in St. Luke chapter 13. We're going to start there. We're going to look at verse 23. <laughs> then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, 
strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. The first thing that we are going to see in answering the question today about identifying the saved is the saved are striving to enter through the narrow gate. I know y'all was looking for something deep, but it's right here. The saved are striving to enter through the narrow gate. You see, uh, Jesus was, uh, he was headed toward Jerusalem uh, uh, for what would be his last pass over here on earth. Along the way, he zigzagged through the cities and villages teaching about the kingdom of God. And in verses 1 through 5 of this chapter, Jesus had earlier straightened out uh, those who believed that people who suffer tragedies, especially tragic deaths, uh, 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 they, they, they thought that these people were automatically guilty of being great sinners. And so Jesus pointed this out. He said that this was not necessarily the case. He said, and then he said to the Jews, I love the way Jesus responds. He said to the Jews, but unless you repent, you too will perish. That's what he said. Unless you repent, you too will perish. You see, the Jews' issue was that they assumed that since they were descendants of Abraham, that they would automatically enter into the kingdom of God. That is, from their perspective, they were on autopilot for entry into the kingdom of God. In fact, the Jews taught that they would be saved just because they were Jews by birth and because of the circumcision covenant. They believed in their biological bloodline from Abraham and, and their ritual of circumcision at the eighth day after birth entitled them to enter into the kingdom of God. But isn't that just like us? Since granddaddy and grandmama were saved and daddy and mama were saved, then we too, by default, are automatically saved. That's what we think. But Jesus taught the Jews that nationality and ritual had nothing to do with salvation. He was always stressing that many are called, but few are chosen. Some of us here today think that because we know church ease, That because we have the rituals down to a T, we know how to take communion with piety. We know when to say amen or the right way to tilt our head toward and our hands toward heaven. Or we know the best way to look holy and sanctified and the right time to get teary-eyed from these rituals we think we are saved. In fact, in fact, in fact, the devil does everything to convince us that we're saved. After all, I was baptized in the bay. I was baptized in the pool. I must be saved. But today, we are going to set the record straight. 
Notice there in verse 23 that it says that one of the Jews asked Jesus, Lord, are there a few who are saved? But notice Jesus' response. It says, but Jesus responded to them. He was responding to the entire multitude. You see, and Jesus' response to the multitude in verse 24 was this. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Since we're talking about identifying the saved, I first want to identify the unsaved from this verse. In the latter half of verse 24, Jesus said, For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. You see the word seek used here in the Greek means to desire or look for a means to. Jesus is saying that many unsaved will desire to enter into the kingdom. They will look for a way to get into the kingdom. That's the unsaved. We're going somewhere with this. Uh, 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 They will try to get in through other means than going through the only door. Even though Jesus said in John 10 and 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. However, the unsaved will try to enter into the kingdom, but, but here it is, only once it's too late for them. After the door has been shut, after their opportunity is gone. You see, you see the words of Isaiah ring true here when he said in Isaiah 55 and 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In John 8, 21, Jesus was speaking to the unrepentant Pharisees and he said this, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. You see, uh, everyone has the same opportunity, but the unsaved are squandering their opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. That's the unsaved. But let's now look at the saved. Back in verse 24, in his answer to that all-important question of who are the saved, Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. The word strive, used here in the Greek, means to struggle, to compete for, to fight for, to labor fervently for. It's the same Greek word we see used in 1 Timothy 6 and 12 when it says, Fight the good fight of faith. It's the same one used in 2 Timothy 4 and 7 where it says, he says, I have fought the good fight. You see, uh, when, when we are striving to enter into the kingdom of God, this is not some lackadaisical skipping in. We got to be intentional. In other words, in other words, Jesus told the multitude that the ones who are saved are those who struggle, compete, fight, and labor fervently to enter into the narrow gate to get into the kingdom of God. We got to compete for it. 
fight for it. It's time to stop laying down. We got to compete for it. We got to struggle and fight. We got to do what the Bible tells us to do. Look at what Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are, how many? Many, many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. We, we, we got to stop going with the crowd. We, we, we are called to be holy and sanctified. Uh, 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 we we got we to swim upstream when everybody else is swimming downstream. The saved are intentional and active about their salvation. Now, now, now entering in at the narrow gate isn't easy. We will have some trials. Anybody had any trials? People will talk about us. Anybody been talked about? People will mistreat us. Here it is. Because Christ is offensive to them. Y'all ever wonder why sometimes it seems you did nothing to people and people start acting up and treating you sort of kind of way? Do you realize it's not you, but it's the Christ that's in you? Do you realize that Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword? Don't worry about people. We need to do what God has called us to do. We got to compete. Entering in at the narrow gate means we will face the onslaught of the enemies of our souls. He's the evil one, but I know this one thing, greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. No, 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 the way, the way uh, of the narrow gate isn't easy, but the Lord our God will be with us. Amen? Amen. You see, the saved understand what Jude wrote. In Jude 1 and 3, he says, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Here it is. Here it is. We got to remember that, that the faith has once and all been delivered to us, so we got to contend for it. We got to contend for it. We got to contend for it. We got to be intentional about it. Amen. Why? Because uh, I, I love what Isaiah wrote in 35, Isaiah 35 and 8. He says, a highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. I, I, I thought I was uh, done with this point, but, but God said, not yet. He said, let my, no, let my people know the reason why we must keep on striving to enter in at the narrow gate. Here it is. That reason is Jesus. In Hebrews 1, uh, the writer emphasizes.
emphasize the personhood and the things Jesus did for our salvation. Uh, over in verse 3, he says, after making purification for sins, he, meaning Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so how are we to respond to what Jesus has done for us? Over in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it tells us this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, here it is, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see, when we think about what Jesus did for us, when we think about what he did on the cross for us, it ought to make us earnestly contend for the faith. Hallelujah. 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 When I think about what he did for me, how can I become lackadaisical with this salvation? When I think about what he did for me, how can I just take it easy and think that I can just slide into heaven? How can I do that? I'm saved. Because I'm saved, God expects something out of me. Because I'm saved, he expects me to live a certain way. The saved strives to enter through the narrow gate. Let's go to verse 9 of our scripture in Luke. I'm sorry, verse 25. Verse 25 says, and Jesus is still talking to the multitude. I love this. He says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. We can identify the saved not only because the saved are striving to enter through the narrow gate, but also because the saved realizes time is of essence. You see, Jesus uses a parable to get his message over to the Jews and everyone else in the multitude. His message was that everyone who acted now can be saved. This was noted in the words Jesus used in verse 24 when he said to the multitude, for many I say to you, will seek to enter. You see, will seek is the future tense and indicates a future action, but with failing results. I don't know who this is for. But what about us here today? I repeat, again, time is of essence. When we look at verse 25, we must understand that, that there is a time limit to salvation. 
None of us knows that time limit, but God knows. Jesus emphasized that there's coming a time when the door will be shut. The way to salvation will be closed. There are two events that will shut the door on the time limit for us to be saved. A person's death or the rapture. None of us know the number of days we have left to live in this life. And none of us know the day nor the hour when Jesus will crack the sky to rapture the church. But if either of these things happen before we have strived to enter into God's salvation, then the door of opportunity will be closed. Let me just take a, a pause break for a moment. Many of us have seen some end times movies. And in the end times movie, movies, we always see that those who are left behind, they will come to know Jesus after the rapture. Okay? Now, uh, uh, can you get me, somebody get me uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. I got to show this. Do, can we get it up there? Thank you. Uh, all right. All right, here it is. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Keep going. Verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Keep going. There it is. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Verse 12 that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So all I'm saying is that you can believe the movies if you want. But I believe that if you have a chance to hear the gospel now and you turn it down, I don't believe that you will get to be saved according to this scripture. Now is the time of salvation. Don't put off for tomorrow what you have an opportunity to do today. A decision that should be today because tomorrow isn't promised to us. Right now, everyone who strives to enter God's salvation can be saved because we are here and we're able to hear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. The emphasis is on right now. While there is still breath in your body, the time is now. Or oh, 
in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, he says, again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time as it had been, been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not, do not harden your hearts. Jesus pointed out the reality of the world's problems. Jesus told the multitude that many will stand outside the door and knock and knock, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But it will be too late. We read in Hebrews 9 and 27, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Every one of us have two unchangeable appointments. We will either die or be raptured. And we will all stand before God in judgment. But can I bless us? When the saved stands before God in judgment, our advocate, the one who is with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, he'll be the one judging us. The one who has washed away our sins with his own blood. The Bible says he is the one who will be judging us. It's right there in John 5.22. Y'all don't believe me? Can, can you pull up John 5.22? For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Amen? Amen. That's why I love him, hallelujah, because the one who washed away my sins, the one who made me whole again, is the one who I get to stand before. And he won't be judging me for my sins because they've been forgiven. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. But, 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 but here, here, here's my shout about standing before Jesus because over in Romans uh, 81 it says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. How's your walk? Who are you walking after? The saved realizes time is of essence. Can we go back to Luke chapter 13, verse 25? When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Verse 26 then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. Verse 27. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. We can identify the saved not only because the saved strives to enter through the narrow gate, not only because the saved realizes time is of essence, but here's our third point, but also because the saved have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A real relationship. 
relationship with Jesus is one of obedience to him. In, in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, uh, uh, it says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? People are quick to thank the Lord for this and that, uh, uh, for, for this Grammy, uh, for this Super Bowl trophy. Uh, 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 thank God for this uh, house. Uh, I want to thank God for letting me get my PhD. Uh, 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 uh. First, I want to thank the Lord for letting me write this song uh, uh, to get this uh, award, uh, uh, but then they don't obey him. Sometimes what really bothers me, they start out, I thank the Lord, and then the next thing you hear is bleep, 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 and I... I, 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 I have an issue with that, just like God has an issue with that. He says, how can sweet and bitter water come out of the same... They don't want to obey him. Uh, uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But, but, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Uh, can I stop for a moment? People always, you know, uh, uh, they want to talk about the Lord. They want to, you know, they uh, the Lord is good. You know, people people are fast to say the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Uh, 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 they call him Lord, but he says he says not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he. The one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders in your name? You see, it's not about ritual. You see, you see, uh, 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 God will use people to get. Don't don't get it twisted. If God used you, you know, uh, uh, to do something even miraculous, don't get it twisted. Cause uh, I remember once He used a donkey. It's a privilege to have God use us. But I don't get it twisted and get out of place because I know that, that, that I'm not too far removed from... Amen, amen, hallelujah. You see, we make excuses. We, we try to rationalize and justify our disobedience by saying we did religious acts in his name, but the true acts of our heart still amount to disobedience. Let me prove my point. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. 
listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than an offering the fat of rams. Can you uh, pull up, uh, uh, go, go to, in that same chapter, uh, go down to verse 3 for me. 1 Samuel 15 and 3. It, uh, uh, it says, now go and completely destroy. I, I want to prove something here. He says, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Now go to verse 8 for me, please. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Look at that again. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Now go to verse 9, please. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, and everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Can I bless us? Partial obedience to God is still disobedience. In this example, we see that Saul, he did part of what God said, but the stuff he kept back was what appealed to him. That's like us. We sing the song today, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. But here it is, sometimes we are holding back part of what we need to surrender to God. And therefore, we are still in disobedience to him. Here it is. Our obedience is all about our love for Jesus. We ain't going to like this. But our obedience, our obedience is the gauge of the depth of our love for Christ. Jesus said in John 14 and 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, let's ask the question, how much do we love him? You don't have to answer that. It's a question. I'm asking myself that too. How much do we love him? He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in John, uh, 1 John 5 and 3, it tells us, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. I like how it says in the Amplified Version, for the true love of God is this, that we habitually keep his commandments and remain focused on his precepts. A real relationship with Jesus is one of having a willingness to sacrifice everything for him. Our problem is that we pick and choose what we want to give up to the Lord. But he wants our total surrender to him. I'm reminded of the story of the rich young ruler in, in, in Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus encountered him and, and, and uh, he asked Jesus what did he need to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. 
He, the young man says, oh, I've done that uh, since I was a youth. Jesus told him, okay, well, go sell everything you have and give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. The Bible says the young man went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Many are walking away from the opportunity of a lifetime. The one with eternal proportions because they are focused on what they think they possess. They are ruled by their position at work and the amount of money in their bank account and the number of followers they have on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. But Jesus said it like this in Luke uh, 9 and 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Sacrificing ourselves for Jesus must be daily. It must be a daily intentional act. Uh, this is not something passive or just happens, uh, but we must daily crucify our flesh. I, I, I don't know about you, but I have to crucify my flesh two, three, four, eight times a day. That flesh will rise up and I, I have to keep crucifying the flesh. I want Jesus to have the right of way in my life and the only way he's going to have the right of way in my life if the flesh is crucified. Let's look at what Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 24. Matthew 16 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus' words and his question about what will a man give in exchange for his soul are not just hollow words. The question is valid. It warns us of how powerful and devastating. Here it is, the love of money or the pride of life or the lust of the eyes or the flesh can be to us. On July 6th of this year in London, England, England, a 19-year-old British teenager was found guilty of murdering two sisters as part of a demonic pact to sacrifice six women every six months in order to win their mega million super jackpot lottery. It was a pledge police believe he intended to carry out. He said he carried out these murders to fulfill his side of a contract with the demon, mighty King Lucifuge Rophakal, which he signed using his own blood, promising to perform a minimum of six sacrifices every six months for as long as he was free and physically able to continue the sacrifices. Imagine this happening in this day and time. This is not a movie. This is for real. That, that seems like it's hard for us to imagine this. But sadly, there are people in the church who are, or rather hanging out in the church 
who are worshiping their own appetite. They are not sold out for Christ. Uh, they, they are seeking their own pleasure and the pleasures of this world and sometimes sitting right next to you in church. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, 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 we, we have to understand this, and I, I love the way the Apostle Paul dealt with this in Philippians uh, chapter 3, uh, uh, verse 18. Uh, 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 he, he began to say something. He says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. What have we set our minds on? If we're going to have a real relationship with Jesus, we must be willing to give up everything uh, 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 of the flesh, everything our flesh craves for. That's why I love in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, 25, it says Moses chose to suffer mistreatment with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin just for a season. Make no mistake, the pleasures of sin will not last. The Apostle Paul did something. He said something. He addressed his understanding of seeing these things. Here it is in the light of the glory of Christ. Uh, uh, Paul had just listed his family heritage, his education, his pedigree. And then he wrote these words in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. He says this, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. When I look at the this things the world has to offer me, it's all garbage in the light of the glory of Christ. It's no wonder the songwriter said, I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. No wonder the songwriter said, you can have the whole world. Just give me Jesus. A real relationship with Jesus is one where we are clothed in him. Designer brand clothes are cool. I, I tell you, they are. I picked up myself a pair of Jordan's uh, sneakers at Marshall's for $20. tell you. And I said, thank you, Lord. But here it is. Neither Ralph Lauren, nor Gucci, nor Chanel, nor Dolce & Cabana, uh, or any of those can clothe us in salvation. 
I'm reminded, I'm reminded of when a king arranged a wedding feast for his son. And, 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 and at this wedding feast, a wedding crasher snuck in and sat down like he belonged there. But then the king saw him. And he asked him in Matthew 22 and 12, he says, how do you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. You see, if we're not clothed in Christ, we might fool some of the wedding guests, but we cannot fool the wedding host. You see, he will be looking for specific clothing. He will be able to tell if what we are wearing is real or if it's a knockoff. He will be looking for a certain label, the label that says the blood of the lamb. And at this one, there won't be any wedding crashes because he will kick you out. You see, the uniform of Christ will straighten us up. It'll make us walk better. It'll make it'll change our lifestyle. How do I know that? Because in Romans uh, chapter 13 and verse 13, it says this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here it is. When we are clothed in Christ, we will be able to avoid battles of the flesh, which we don't even have to fight. Did you know that many times we get in battles that we don't even have to get in? I found out that in my lifetime, I have fought battles that I, I could have avoided. Uh, 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 you, you know, don't, don't get it twisted. Here it is. Uh, we who are clothed in Christ, we no longer have to sin. Because we have taken on a new nature, the nature of Jesus Christ. We sin, but we don't have to sin. I'll just go home now. I'm grateful for the power of Christ in me. Here it is. A real, relation with, a real relationship with Jesus is one where we not only know him, but more importantly, he knows us. In Luke 13, chapter 25 through 27, there are two things I want us to focus on. In verse 25, at the end of that verse, Jesus says, I do not know you where you're from. And then they said, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. In verse 27, he says, but I will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you're from. And Jesus pointed out the, the issue at hand. He exposed the elephant in the room. He told the Jews, you say we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. In other words, uh, Jesus was flatly saying that some of the Jews thought that because they sat down to dinner with him, 
and they listened to him teach uh, of the multitudes that that was enough for them to be granted entrance into the kingdom of God. But, but, but the Jews of Jesus' day are no different from many of us today who think we're a Christian because they listen to gospel music every now and then. They read Psalm 23 every now and then or they say the Lord's Prayer twice a week. They listen to a preacher every Sunday on the radio while they're driving an hour to go to the football game. They do good. They serve at the homeless shelter. They hold the door open for the little old ladies and say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. Uh, they don't cheat on their taxes or work hours. Uh, okay, I, I know that's not us. But some think they are Christians just because they encounter Jesus when they come to church every Sunday. They sing on the praise and worship team. They usher us to our seats. They serve as a trustee. They preach from the pulpit. They work in the sound ministry, on the deacon's board, in the music ministry. All these are good, but make no mistake, those things don't mean we're a Christian. Jesus will say, I don't know you where you are from. You are not the sheep of my pasture. You see, Jesus knows the sheep of his pasture. He knows the sheep of his pasture. And in Matthew chapter 22, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 to 23, he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You see, the thing that makes us a Christian, here it is, is when we truly know him, but more importantly, is when he knows us. I'm speaking of a personal relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, that's why in, in, in uh, uh, John chapter 10, uh, verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. In John 10 and 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is his word. You see, these verses emphasize that Jesus must know us. We can't just encounter him. He must encounter us. Y'all remember the woman at the well? She encountered Jesus at the well, but she wouldn't have been changed if he had not encountered her. Remember, he encountered her and something happened. Y'all know the story. She came there as a, they called her a loose woman. I like to think, if we, if y'all excuse me to say, I like to say that she came there and she was all messed up, right? And she encountered Jesus, and Jesus, because of that encounter, she was changed. And so, so here it is. She came there as a prostitute and left as a preacher. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, it says this. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, 
having this seal, the Lord knows those who are, I, I hope this is blessing somebody. Because we're living in a time when people are messing with the word of God. We're living in a time when, when, when people are preaching a perverted and twisted gospel. We're living in a time when the devil is using people to confuse people who are seeking the gospel. So excuse me if I'm using the word, but it's important that we see it. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see this first inscription on this solid foundation is this. The Lord knows those who are his. There are no false professions of faith and no hypocrites. Here it is in God's church not in his real church we can't fool God within the earthly church there are both wheat and tares both believers and un, uh, unbelievers but when God looks at us he knows those who are truly his he knows those who are really in his church and those who are just hanging out with the church make no mistake Jesus knows. You see, uh, Judas never fooled Jesus. Hung out with him for three years. Judas never fooled Jesus. Jesus knew. You know, some churches have uh, renamed their worship services as encounters. These encounters are designed to evoke an emotional response for those in attendance. The problem with many of these emotion-driven encounters is that people's emotions are touched, they are inspired, but yet they leave without being changed. They leave the encounter services feeling that they know Jesus. Yes, they know of his love, they know of his mercy, and they know of his grace, but their hearts remain void of his truth. And as long as our hearts remain void of his truth, he does not know us. Here it is. God isn't surprised by those who have falsely professed him for 40 years and then they renounce him. We're living in a time when we should expect to see more and more people drop their profession of faith in Christ. Don't be surprised. Look at 1 John chapter 2. There it is. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them. I'm expecting people who have 
profess to be saved and profess to be a Christian to walk out and turn their back. I'm not surprised. I'm expecting it. Here it is. Those with a real relationship with Jesus belong to him. Uh, uh, they might stray, but they won't depart from the way. The truly saved know Jesus, but more importantly, he knows us. Uh, because he knows us, he completed the RSVP for us in heaven. Even though we RSVP for heaven, our names still needed to be written down. And the writer of Hebrews told the dispersed Jews and Gentile believers about the glorious company they had joined. It's right there in Hebrews 12 and 23. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. My name might not be on the board of some great corporation. My name may not be written in the White House. My name might not be on some in the state house, but one thing I know is my name is written in heaven. It's great to know him, but it's only when he knows us that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life forever. The saved have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Can we go to Luke chapter 7? I'm sorry, Luke chapter 13, verse 28, please. We're almost done. Verse 28. Jesus back talking to the multitude. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Here it is. We can identify the saved not only because the saved strives to enter through the narrow gate, not only because the saved realizes time is of essence, not only because the saved have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, but here it is, because the saved have RSVP'd with yes to God's invitation. You see, our use of the term RSVP is derived from the French phrase, responsi du play. I messed it up, that's okay. Which means please respond to require confirmation of an invitation. In French, RSVP implies that the one who sent the invitation is begging for an answer. In fact, since the fall of mankind in the garden, God instituted his plan of salvation, and therefore he instituted a universal call to whosoever will. This is the great invitation that every human being has been given to know God. His call and invitation is so clear that no one will have an excuse when we stand before him. We can stand on, uh, I never made it to church to hear a preacher. I never got a Bible. We can, we can try to use that, but the Bible says we won't have an excuse. Can I prove it? Look at Romans uh, 1, 18. Can we read that? There it is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his external power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So no one will have any excuses. None. Nada. None. Nada. But what can we say to this? You see, many today have adopted a posture of responding to God's uh, uh, invitation the way we respond to other invitations. You see, the phrase RSVP, regrets only, or simply regrets only, is a popular modern variation that implies if you do not reply, that means you have accepted the invitation. That's the modern way. But I must tell you that for God's invitation, you must respond, period. If you don't respond, guess what? Then you have responded, and you are telling God, nope, I don't want your mercy. I don't know, know your grace. I, I, I don't need the blood that you shed for me. Uh, uh, that means that you must have forgotten what the Bible tells us in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death. Here's the saddest part. If you do not accept God's invitation, you are telling God, I can and will pay for my sins all by myself. And you will spend all of eternity paying for your sins. You know, uh, uh, people, people think that, that they're going to party in hell. Can, 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 we, can, we, can we kick down that lie door right now? Uh, 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 Jesus gave us a glimpse of what hell will be like in his story of the beggar named Lazarus and the rich man. You see, Lazarus died, and, and, and uh, the angels took him to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was buried uh, uh, and in torment in hell, but could see Lazarus in comfort. So look at what he says in Luke chapter 16, just two verses here. Luke 16, 24, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, this is, the, this is the rich man, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. You are tormented. You see, we got to understand that, 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 that uh, this is something that, that uh, you don't want to play around with. It's for real. You know, I, I like to think about it, you know, uh, uh, the pay for being saved may be small here on earth, but the benefits are out of this world, Right? That, that didn't phase you? Okay. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope this will make you want to RSVP for heaven. Let's see. Can you go to Revelations chapter 20, verse 12? Maybe this will bless us. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, 
which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Let me stop for a moment. You see, this judgment is the judgment of those who died in their sin. The dead are those who died in their sins, who did not RSVP with yes. It didn't matter how rich they were, it says small and great. They stood before God and the books were open. You see, there are books. The books is where all of our sins were written in. Every last one of them written. God saw it. Nobody else here on earth saw it. We thought we got away with it, but it's written in the books. It's written there. All right? And he says here that, that uh, uh, they were judged according to what was written in the books. But then he says, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So let's go down to verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the dead and, uh, and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Verse 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into Here it is. Here it is. Uh, even though he pulled out the books, he also pulled out the book of life. Isn't it amazing that they were judged according to the things that were written in the books? And he never had to look in the book of life. He knew their name was not there. But here's the blessed thing about us who are saved. You see, uh, uh, there was a time when our names were written in the books. All of our stuff, there was a, 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 a must have been several books with the stuff that Warren did, all written down. But praise be to God, one day when I, whew, the blood of Jesus, the erasing blood of Jesus. is recorded. It's this simple. Those who say, yes, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, our names will be in the book of life forever. However, those who say no or just decide not to respond at all, their names will not be in the book of life. The entry into the kingdom of God comes down to this. Revelations 21 and 27 says, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. But, but 
But how do we identify those who have RSVP to God's invitation? Here it is. The saved have accepted the great exchange. Some of us, uh, you are asking, what, what, what is the great exchange? Here it is. It's in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 when it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I said, Lord, I, I, I need a scripture that shows someone who responded with a yes to your invitation. I, I don't want him just to take my word. I need something. And, 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 and he took me to a scripture that shows uh, 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 two responses to his invitation. It's right there in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Luke 23, verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, the other, answered, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. How is it that two men who have equal opportunity, hallelujah, uh, uh, could, could, could get different responses? You see, Jesus did not even respond to the first one, but the other. Those who are responded with a, a yes to God's invitation are those who responded as the other man. The man I'm talking about recognized he was a vile sinner in the presence of the Holy One of God. And he realized that he needed to be saved. Here it is. But not from dying, but instead from his sins. He died. But he didn't die in his sins. There's a difference. He died, but he did not perish. He did not perish. Uh, 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 and so, so that's what we have to do. The Apostle Paul recognized how important this is and, uh, that everyone responds to yes to God's uh, uh, call for salvation. Look at, we're almost done, I promise. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, Look at this, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
You know, Paul is saying, it's like God pleading with you for a yes to his invitation. He is saying, whosoever will. He's saying, if you don't know me, today is the day of salvation. He is looking for those who will RSVP with a yes. Jesus is standing at the door knocking and waiting. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. Verse 29. He says, they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. How can we identify the saved? The saved are the few, the humble, the chosen. There are two things that resonates for me from verse 29. Jesus said the saved will come from every corner of the world. First, the day is, uh, the saved will include people of every nature, nation, every ethnicity, every culture, every skin color, every language. I began to wonder as I was looking at this, I said, and I, this is just me wondering, will we all go back to speaking one language? Remember in the beginning, there was one language. Until man became disobedient and he, God confounded the language. I'm just wondering, anybody ever think about heaven? I think about heaven. <laughs> all right, I, I don't know where I was going with that. I just, I just thought I'd throw that out there. So, but, but anyway, uh, uh, when we look at this, we're, we're coming from every nation, and, and, and in, in Revelations 22 and 17, it says, and the spirit and the bride said, come, and let him who hears says, come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Uh, 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 the, the day, the saved, will be the whoever who by faith in Jesus heeded and received the gospel message. And second, the saved will sit down in the kingdom of God. This is the picture of the great marriage supper of the Lamb. This is, this is the one you want to be at. There's going to be two, two suppers. You want to be at this one, the great marriage supper of the Lamb. You don't want to be at the supper of God. If you're at the supper of God, you will be the supper. So this is the one you want. In Revelations 19 and 9, it says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And see, this is the feast where all of the saints gather together with Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And what a time, what a time, what a time it will be, right? Uh, the saved will rest from our labors. And, but then in verse 30, Jesus says something that would have set the Jews' teeth on edge. He said, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Uh, this is crazy to uh, uh, those of the world and even some of us in the church. So in the world, our social status uh, often dictates the level of service we receive or our place in line. You know, from the movies I've seen uh, at those club patrons with 
high society status, you know, the real VIPs, uh, they don't wait in a line to get into a club. But, but even in a church, we try to serve people based on their position, but in reality, that, surface, that service is often accompanied by an ulterior motive of what can they do for me. Instead of just serving. Amen? Uh, uh, but we must look at, at, at Jesus as our example in John 13 and 14. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It's about service. I'm reminded that in Luke 14, where Jesus was invited to a dinner with the Pharisees. And after noticing that they had jockeyed for places of honor, Jesus told them a parable. He said, there was a feast which a man attended. The man sat in the place of honor without being invited to sit there. But then the real honor guest showed up. And the dinner host very loudly announced for that fake guest of honor to get up out of the seat he was sitting in. And here it is. The man ended up having to take the only seat that was left, which was the place of least honor. Jesus' lesson was for each of us to be humble and wait for God to elevate us. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The saved are the few, the humble, the chosen. The few, the humble, the chosen. I love what he says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. You see, the enemy will try to mess with us and make us feel like we are missing out on something because we are not following the crowd. But we're not supposed to follow the crowd. Why? Because we, the saved, the few, the chosen have been set apart. We are the holy and sanctified. Yes, I'm sanctified. Yes, I'm a sanctified holy ruler. And if that offends you, as Bishop would say, peace out. I mean, praise God. Praise God. I almost, I almost missed our last point. It's right there in Luke 13, verse 22. This is our last point. Luke 13, 22. It says, and he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. We identify the saved not only because the saved strives to enter through the narrow gate, not only because the saved realizes time is of essence, not only because the saved have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, not only because the saved have RSVP with yes for the kingdom of God, not only because the saved are the few, the humble and chosen, but here's our last one. The saved remain focused on their call and mission. You see, in verse 22, uh, this was amazing. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was not going there on vacation or to visit family or friends. He was going there to be crucified for you and me. 
But even though Jesus knew what was ultimately waiting for him in Jerusalem, as he traveled along, the Bible says he taught wherever he was. He kept on doing what the Father had sent him to do. He didn't slack off, nor did he forget his call and mission. It didn't matter if he was in a large city or a small village. Jesus reached out to as many as he could reach. As a saint, you and I have a responsibility to help reach people for God. You might be saying, I'm not a preacher. Well, you may not have the title of a preacher, but every believer has been commissioned to be a proclaimer or teacher of the gospel. We have been commissioned to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with whomever will hear us. In Mark 16 and 15, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation. Your world starts in your home with your family, with your co-workers who God sent your way, with your neighbors who see something different about you. Yes, we've been called to proclaim the gospel. The greatest or most effective words we will use will be our life. Live to honor God. Yes, the enemy will try to make us scared to tell somebody about Jesus. But as God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Yes, the enemy will try to make us ashamed to take a stand for Christ. But the same, we heed Jesus' words here in Mark 8 and 38. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in his glory of his Father with the holy angels. I'm not ashamed of Christ. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your title is. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans 1 and 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You see, the reason why we cannot be ashamed to proclaim the gospel with our lives and with our words is because the devil is tricking people left and right. And we have the words of truth within us. It's right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. The Apostle Paul said, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what he's doing. That's why it's important that we preach the gospel. If there's ever a time that we need to stand for truth, to live truth, to proclaim truth, the time is now. And this is what the saved does in order to win souls for Christ. The saved remains focused on their call and mission. How can we identify the saved? As I close, the saved strives to enter through the narrow gate. 
The saved realize this time is of essence. The saved have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. The saved have RSVP with yes for the kingdom of God. The saved are the few, the humble, the chosen. The saved remain focused on their call and mission. The only question that remains is this, are you saved? Are you saved? If you're not saved or if you're not sure you're saved, the Bible tells us in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't matter what you have done or how much you've done it. Don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that God won't forgive you for the stuff you've done. Make no mistake, every one of us in here who saved the day, if you could have seen the books of the stuff we've done. The Bible tells us if we confess and repent of our sins, that is to turn away from a sinful lifestyle. The Bible tells us in Psalms 103 and 12, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Remember the day that you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, for today is a day of salvation. And so my question today is, are you saved? Is there one who today you have heard the voice of the Lord? Is there one who will come to give his life to the Lord? Romans 10 and 9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is there one who will say, I want to be saved? If that's you, I, I, I beg you to come down now. You don't be ashamed. You don't know about tomorrow. We think we got tomorrow. Is there one? If you, if you don't want to walk by yourself, I'll, I'll come walk with you. Is there one? Is there one? If, if everyone's saved, praise God. Yeah. Pastor John, come up. But I, but I do want to say this. If you're not saved, even after the service, Come find somebody. Tomorrow is not promised. 
We may think we're in great, perfect health. And, but God said, you live, you move, and you exist only because of me. And I know that this word is for somebody. I know it's for somebody. I know it's for somebody. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Come on, give God a praise today. Hallelujah. You know, Elder Warren, when, when God, in the sixth chapter of Genesis, when he had had enough of man's wickedness. Yes. He called a man Moses, or Noah, rather. Noah. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And Noah preached, preached, preached as he built. And building that ark to save mankind. And when people heard, they laughed. Yes, they, they did. They blew him off. Yes. It's going to rain. Well, well it's going to be a flood. Well, they never heard of a flood. Right. What is a flood? A rain. Well, they never heard of rain. Right. There had been no rain before that time. Right. They were preaching something that he was preaching something that he had never heard of, they never heard of. Mm -hmm. But just because they hadn't heard of it didn't mean it wasn't true. Right. And that it wasn't coming. Yes. And the mass majority of people failed to respond properly. Yes. That's right. And when Noah and his wife, his three sons, their wives and those animals got on the ark. The Bible says God, God closed the door. God closed the door. And you know, God told us he opens, closes doors, no man can open. Opens doors, no man can close. So when God closed that door, I can only imagine that rain started coming. Yes. People yes. knocking. People knocking. Let me in. Okay, no, I believe, I believe it. Let me in. Mm -hmm. And, and Noah, with all his compassion, probably wanted to say, okay, come on in. But he couldn't because he could. God closed that door. God closed the door. God closed. Oh, yeah. oh, my God. That's right, man. That's right. What you made to us so plain, so clear, was that there is a time coming. There is a time. Whether it is in an individual's life. Yes. Or this entire planet at one time. Yes. And you don't want to be in that crowd that's left behind. Mm. It says, oh, I believe now. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. At that point, it's too late. It's too late. I'm glad you brought the scripture up that Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians about that those who refuse to believe the truth, mm -hmm. God would send a strong delusion strong so that they delusion. will believe the lie. Yes. So there'll be no opportunity at that point. Now, for God to have arranged 
for Elder Warren Anderson to be here today from Columbus. God's love and his divine providence has brought him here for somebody. How do you know you're saved? There's another scripture in Revelation 3, 3 and 4, when God's talking to the church at Sardis. Yes, oh gosh. And he says to them that there are some, though, some of those who have not defiled their garments. Have not defiled their garments. And he says to him who overcomes, I will not blot your name out All right. of, of the book of life. That's right. That's what he said. So that means you can be saved, mm -hmm. but if you return to your sin like a dog returns to vomit, mm -hmm. He says, I can blot your name out of the book of life. At that point, you're back to the books. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Before he leaves this platform, I want to give the opportunity once again for somebody who does not know Jesus in the part of your sins yet. Or you're someone who you have walked with him. You have been saved. At one time you were on focused on your mission and your assignment. The one time you were striving. You were contending. But somewhere along the way, yes. the fire went out. Somewhere along the way. That burnt passion, that fight that you had for the faith left. God wants you today to be certain yes, God. that you're in the faith and walk with the Lord. So wherever you are in this room, I'm going to get an opportunity to come before the Lord right now. It's not too late and it's not too far gone. God wants you born again and certain about it. Yes, God. And if it's a time of just repentance, yes, God. Yes, God. Lord, I, I, I ask you to forgive me for walking yes, away or God. getting slothful. Yes, God. Yes, God. Just slacking up. Forgive yes, me for that. Yes, I need you more than anything. Yes, God. Yes, God. There are some that are already here. Yes, God. There's some that are already here. They're already up at this altar saying, God, that's me. Oh, God. Will you join them today? Will that be somebody else that joins them and say, Yes, God. I need to be up there too. I need to be up there too. I need to, I need to really, really admit, Lord, I've, I've gotten into some stuff. Mm. Just to be truthful in church, I've gotten yes. into some stuff. Yes, God. Let the things of the world begin to, to draw me back out. Oh, God. Lust of the flesh. Yeah. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. Hallelujah. I begin to entertain iniquity rather than departing from iniquity. Oh God. Things I never should have been involved in. Things I should have never set my eyes on. Things I should have never allowed in my ears. Yeah. Oh God. Oh Lord, I'm coming back to you. Lord, I'm coming home. Like that prodigal son. Yes, God. That father was running. Looking for him. Yes, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm going to give about 30 more seconds. Oh, God. 
in the urgency of this moment, whoever you are, I don't care how old you are, I don't care what position you have in the church, I don't care what title you have in the church. If you know in your heart that you should be here, I want you to come because God divinely arranged this day, this moment for you. He loves you that much. And while the anointing is on this man of God, I'm going to have him pray. That's why I wouldn't let him leave. Because this anointing, this evangelistic anointing oh, God has called him as an evangelist of the body of Christ. That's why his passion is so strong, his zeal is so strong for people to come to Jesus Christ. Hell is a reality. And Satan would love nothing more than for people of God who once walked with God, once knew the Lord to draw back, fall back and miss. Paul said it this way, be careful that you do not lose what you gained. Yes, God. When we got born again, we gained eternal life. But he said, be careful that you don't lose what you gain. Yes, Lord, yes. Hallelujah. Now God's moving on somebody's heart. Oh, God. God's moving on somebody's heart. Yes, God. We're going to pray in a moment. Hallelujah. Before I close this, I'm going to extend it 30 more seconds. 30 more seconds. Whoever you are. 30 more seconds. Brother Warren, get ready to pray. Hallelujah. Don't let this moment pass you by. And I've got people here. I'm going to ask my, my intercessors, my prayer counselors, if you'll come and just stand with those that are here. Come on, I want you to use your faith and be there, stand there with them. I need a lot more prayer counselors. Y'all open your eyes, open your eyes, prayer counselors. I got a whole group of people up here. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 As I was standing there, I felt the grieving of the Holy Spirit. I felt the grieving of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that somebody is not coming who's supposed to come. And I want to say to you, don't let the enemy trick you. Don't let the enemy trick you today. It's the day, now is the time. 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 The enemy is trying. He is trying. Don't let him. 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 
Hallelujah. 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 Ah, glory. Hallelujah. 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 Come, come. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, 
us not to be ashamed. God, we are the saved. 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 So, God, we just give ourselves to you. We give ourselves away to you. How you want to use us. How you want to use us, God. We give ourselves away to you. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies, Father, our entire beings, we give ourselves away to you. We belong to you. We belong to you. So in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. Father, we thank you for every, every soul who answered the call today. Thank you for saving. Thank you for restoring. Thank you for your word that you put in our heart. Let your words, Father, grow in our heart, take root in our heart, Father, in the name of Jesus, and help us to walk as the saved, yes. to live as the saved, yes. to speak as the saved, to remember who we are in you, Father, so that we won't confuse the world. That's right. That's right. Father, help us to live holy and sanctified. Holy. We need to be the ambassadors you have called us to be. Because if this gospel be hid, it is hidden from those who are lost. So may we walk in holiness and righteousness. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. so much.